I'm Quinn Murphy, and this is In My Chair. Dick Page has been doing makeup since the mid-1980s, and he's still at it. Mm -hmm. Dick, welcome In My Chair. Thank you very much for having me. Of course. You know, usually I have these, like, really, like, long bios that are very, you know, uh, exciting and telling, you know, the highlights of people, and Mm -hmm. we decided not to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And tell me why that that you prefer that. Oh, because, I mean, I I sort of assumed that people listening would have an idea of who I was, because otherwise, why bother? I mean, unless you have a very long, boring road trip and you'll listen to anything. (laughs) <laughs> um, and you know, I've heard that you, you know you talk very well to people, and you're interesting, engaging, and you get stuff out of people. So um, I figured, you know, that's what the Google machine is for. If anyone cares enough, they can have a little Google and find out. Otherwise, I, I've heard no. It feels like there's a, one of my favorite stories is about this uh, actress called Glenda Jackson, who's on one of my favorites. And a long time ago, she read a piece in an English newspaper that said they were having a retrospective of her films, and she she said she looked at it and thought, "Oh God, I must have died." And um, that's kind of what that feels like. Sometimes you get the introduction and it's all, you know, the greatest hits and the glory and yeah. the wonder and stuff. And you think, oh, here we go. Then that's, I guess I'll just put me out to pasture. I've finished. Most of the people I read it for, I feel like they love hearing the highlights of their life and get really into it. I myself, if I were on the other end, would feel cringy. Uh, I guess it depends. I mean, this, you know, of course, naturally, this is something of a vehicle for self-promotion. And it's, you know, like, because if you can't quite pat yourself on the back enough, it's nice to have someone shine on you. Right. So, um, you know, so a bit of both, I think. Does people give, giving you compliments make you uncomfortable? Yes. But I think that's, uh, that's I mean, it's weird. It's, a, of course, it's much more complicated than we can un- unpack here. But it is a bit of a sort of the self-effacing British thing. But then wrapped up in the idea that you can't always... Uh, be backpedaling and, and sort of like, you know, a wallflower about these things. If you've done something, you should just be able to say, you know, thank you. Isn't that, you know, that, that's enough. I think someone's, you know, complimenting you. It's nice to be able to, to be complimented and just to say thank you and move on. Right. I, I do this thing where, don't get me wrong, I really like think about being complimented and really want my, to be complimented. But in the moment, I'm like, oh God, this is so uncomfortable. And I try and change the subject quickly. Yeah. I've that's done that a lot. Yeah, that's that's natural. I mean, there's again, great stories. Um, uh, Ingrid Bergman, the actress, was freaked out when she first came to America. It didn't happen very much. Very, you know, sort of straightforward her Swedish upbringing, even though she was a well-regarded actress, and being constantly told how beautiful she was when she came to America, and she was quite freaked out by it. And she finally came up with, "Thank you, isn't it lucky?" So that's kind of like, it's a, of a good deflection. It's like not responsible for this, you know. Do you think you've you been com- lucky? Yes, absolutely. Of course. How much Very if lucky. you were looking at your career in life, would you say was like your talent or God's destiny for you or however you would put it versus luck? That's, um, that's very hard to say. Uh, it, I don't know. I think I, you know, I fell in with the right people. I, you know, you, you meet people who, either you think along the same lines as, or you have points of commonality, you get in touch with someone who you like this idea of a picture, or you like this direction of a film, or you t- you, know, you like the same music, the same clothes, just like you do your whole life when you, as you find friends and friends find you. Um, so there's a lot of that going on. And uh, also I didn't, you know, I never trained to do makeup. So 
I was, I'm, you know, self-taught sounds weird even because it's just, you know, you can paint and draw. And I think if you can do that, then, you know, you've got a head start, haven't you? There's just other little things. You're just changing mediums. So it's just other little things that you learn along the way. Mm. Um, so the luck of it really is, you know, falling in with the right people and having, you know, the good grace and common sense to get along with people and hopefully uh, keep it working. Well, first of all, I wanted to ask you, how was your job yesterday? Oh, uh, yes, it was a bit of a weird one. It was a weird one. It was good. Really? It was, yeah, it was most, well, you know, they're often weird. Uh, I think we're coming out of the high pandemic-related weirdness, possibly, hopefully. There's not quite as much, there's not as much abstraction in the strangeness of like, now I'm going to touch your face, if that's okay. Right. That kind of, the, the mask and the distancing thing is tricky. Um, it was mostly good. I think we did some good pictures. Um, wasn't my favorite day, but I think it was good. Are you like um, out of practice at all? Do you feel like you have to think overthink things a little bit because it's bit, I don't I don't know because I assume you've worked less in the last year and a half than usual than ever. Um, well, I I started working probably after after everything sort of collapsed on itself last year, early last year. I started working again properly in July, I think, and that the first few months of doing things, which were sporadic, was very very strange. I'm sure as you remember, just that navigating all the new rules. And then also I was lucky enough when I started working again, I was working with people that I knew. Right. And then I did a few, th- few jobs where I was meeting new people and that was quite miserable. That was quite miserable because, you know, of course the nature of our work is that you're, you're dealing with faces. You're dealing with communication with people to see people and to talk to people and observe how their face works and to, exchange ideas and to be close and like of course you're touching someone's face at the same time someone's maybe touching their hair someone's adjusting the clothes on them someone's moving the light around or props or furniture whatever all those things it's a ballet that kind of or you know that sounds makes it sound much more elegant than it usually is but it's Mm. the kind of combination of elements that are very very dependent on the movement of people and their attachments and engagements with each other so once you take that out of the equation you're almost like satellites, you know, you're communicating without touching and it's very difficult to do. So I, that was very, very hard. The adjustment and that, that. that's because of the people or because of just COVID? Because, well, it, it's, it's both. The people wouldn't, we wouldn't all have to behave in this strange arch wary way if it weren't for the COVID. So we're, we're only seeing half the faces. We don't, I didn't realize how much you read face. Of course, we understand we read faces constantly. But as peop- as someone who has hearing and has language, I never thought I'm dependent on the way the face works and moves. And to only see and communicate with half the face is very, very difficult. I'm sure you've appreciated that as well. Yeah, so, because I, I used to give people a lot of smiles to say, like, we're okay, or I appreciate you, like strangers on the street. And I had to be like, oh, I need to now do this with my eyes. Yes. So it looks like you you have some kind of strange facial tick or, you know, like little spasms we're having. Right. So, yeah, same thing. But my also... Very again, I think it's a not maybe not just exclusively a British thing, but I'm quite chatty. I like to you know talk to people at the market. I like to talk to people in the in the line at the supermarket or any post office or you know even on the train. Sometimes if someone's reading something, you know, just falling. Do you think that's a British thing? Uh, well, I mean, I've been told. I think it's a very New York thing as well because yeah, well, you know, I, I find it quite easy to fall in conversation with people everywhere and. um but I always thought Brit that in, in the UK it took a little longer to crack the the shell. Like depend, no, it depends where you are. No, not necessarily. I don't think so. 
I mean, I guess we just haven't grown up there. It just it seems automatic just to be chatting away with people. So to not have those casual exchanges, that's the thing I miss the most. I mean, you can you can manage the work. I found I was able to manage the work thing because we're already in something that's structured in a way that we have to behave in a certain manner. Things are expected of you. You arrive in this artificial situation, which is studio or location or whatever transport, and you know what it's going to be. But the casual day-to-day thing, when you're asking someone in a shop about the food or you're talking to your fish man or you're talking to the butcher, you're talking to anyone, those little missing bits of just bumping into someone on the street where the dogs are talking and you can't really have a proper conversation. That's That was all, you know, that's a very long-winded way of saying it's been quite difficult. Yeah, I agree. I, I've heard of you in interviews. I, you know, I read, read a lot of things in a lot of interviews and I know even for me, I'm not even, I don't even do half the amount of interviews you do, but you, you know, you get asked like all the same questions and like, not, hmm. not all, that's not fair, but you do go through like the regular list of, of things. And I get the feeling that mm. you're quite bored with those usual kind of questions. Well, it's tricky, isn't it? Because I mean, the reason I, I'm asked often the same questions is that because that's the things that people want to know. So that's understandable. I'm sure that anyone in any arena, you know, can get bored of being asked. Like if you've, you know, if if your big film break was with Brad Pitt, you're going to be asked what it's like kissing Brad Pitt, probably right. for the rest of your life. Lucky you. Um, so no, that's I mean, it's normal. People do want to know the, the certain things. I do. I do tend to ramble and riff and wander away from questions sometimes. I can't help that. That's just a you know, wandering mind I have. So I'm not averse to the questions themselves because I'm lucky enough to be able to ask, to be asked them. Um, it's fun. The tricky part, of course, is I'm often talking to people who are way younger than me, like yourself, or people who have experienced the work many years after the fact, or in isolation. I mean, the, the most awful thing lately has been hoping this isn't going to lead to you crossing out notes. There's been this weirdness that the 90s are back, mm-hmm. which is such a strange kind of I, an, um, idea as well, because it doesn't really mean anything, does it? You know, to say that, that well, cause first of all, they're not good, because how could they be? You know, the world only spins forward. But um, it's the it's the pick and mix kind of variety store idea of fashion and beauty that we can say we like this we like this and then I sort of want to interject well you're ignoring you know eighty percent of it which was just dreck like eighty percent of most fashion and beauty is dreck at any given time so you know nostalgia is sweet that's the point of it it's quite nice to look back and think oh my god I would have loved those pants or that that photo shoot was so incredible and it's just you know. Time well, yeah, but it's also you know? boredom, I think, by the fashion industry is that, like, what's next? Okay, we did 80s. We've gone back to the 70s a couple times. 60s always comes back every few years. So now it's Constantly, 90s. yes. Yeah. Right? Um, well, that's the tricky part. See, we, we're bored because we've allowed ourselves to be bored um, by racing ahead of things. I think this is part of my – one of my pet, pet peeves and pet subjects is this, this idea of super fast absorption of – of ideas and of visuals, particularly the fact that now you no longer have to go and find a magazine or find a book. You can, I mean, it started of course with the internet that you could, you could start searching for pictures and now it's easier than ever to find not everything, but almost everything and pictures of everything. So you can narrow it down and zero in on, you know, say you want, Oh, Bridget Hall, her Brits, 1990 something. You can find it 
in a heartbeat rather than having to go to someone's library or archive and look for the magazine. What is the, what is the, the virtue in having to do that? There is, no, there is no virtue. Um, I, think what, I think it makes people lazy. I think it makes people um, lazy and impatient. Um, and I think it, it sort of takes away, it takes, it dulls the edge of creativity to constantly have other frames of reference at your fingertips. I find mood boards the same thing. Mood board drives me up the wall. I was going to ask you about that. Yes, go ahead. Well, because as a, <laughs> as a makeup artist, it's like when someone shows you, it's one thing to say, I, I'm feeling a little bit uh, referenced by, you know, Gene Shrimpton or 60s mm-hmm. or whatever. And then yes. I can have a picture of that in my mind, but also I'm not being held to, you know, this exact liner copy verbatim. Right. And, and um, I find like when someone shows you, a, it's very catalog to me. Like I did a, a shoot recently and, and it was like, this is what we want. Mm-hmm. And then I had someone coming up to me with that, the photo of the reference mm-hmm. and looking at the girl. And I was like, if you're in my mind, you know, I'm, if you're uh-huh. going to make <laughs> me make this exactly like that, you know, yeah. and I should probably just shut up and do it. And that's my problem. But um, there's no creativity. And then at some point, a robot will probably be able to do that mm-hmm. better than we can. It's it's often, I think, the problem with with them. Um, the same thing happens in music with cover tunes or versions of things very often. I think all it does, most, for the most part, what it does is it makes you realize how great the original work was. So they're like, oh, terrific. You're just walking to a minefield now. You're just saying... I'm just doing something here to sh- to prove to you how fantastic those Avedon pictures of Donyala Luna were. Now pay attention. So that's um, I think that's an issue. It's, it's is sort it of, cheating? It's not even cheating because cheating implies some kind of winning. I mean, right, I, right. But the, but the, <laughs> the consumer, because this all comes back to money at the end of the day. Of course, the consumer doesn't know who Avedon is. And they certainly don't remember that reference. No, in the that, most part. No, that's the thing. You can chase this. You can do the genealogy of a photograph. You can talk. About, I did this a while ago with a training session in Japan, quite a while ago, and I said we can sort of we can study the genealogy of this. A, a quite a recent Japanese magazine picture through them through a version Martin Marcus that they clearly copied. The Martin Marcus thing was influenced by a Mizell picture. The influence the Mizell picture felt like it came from an Avedon reference. So you kind of go down the line of where these things were, and of course. Some things are better than others. Some interpretations take it somewhere. They do something else with it. They utilize what's brilliant about the model. But sometimes if it's just slavish, there really is no point because all you're doing is looking at it and thinking, well, okay, that, but, you know, okay, so that was Avedon in the American West. Why am I looking at it again now in a, you know, a watered down version, a, a cleaned up, not interesting version? So, Well, Stephen Mizell recently for Zara, and it's a beautiful shoot, did – it was a shoot that – um Actually, it was a shoot that he had done in the early 90s with Orlando Pita. It was Verushka in the desert. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've seen the original. Um, yeah. And then it was he did it once, and then he recently redid it for Zara. I mean, if you hadn't seen the one before mm-hmm. that was with, I think, Carolina Krakova, it was genius. But it's also, then you can reference yourself, I guess, and just of course. redo it. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of that going on as well. But um and, you know, the rules don't really apply to Stephen because he has created his own world. So... Do you, did you want ever want to be in that world? Uh, no. No, I mean, I always liked it, but I was, I was never asked. So I but never why weren't you asked to be in that world? I don't know. You ask him. <laughs> I have no idea. Well, 
Can I project? What? Yes. Oh, go ahead. Fine. Um, I wonder if it's because you don't play the game. And um, I, because in my ter- opinion, it has nothing to do with talent. I give you a compliment right here, but I think it might make you uncomfortable that you absolutely could hold your own in that studio, but maybe perhaps there's some other thing that you're not willing to do. Uh, I don't even know if it's that because when I, you know, when I first started coming to America in the early nineties and, and, you know, I, I landed and kind of suddenly had this working with everybody post David Sims work with Calvin Klein, that kind of stuff was like the introduction to the American market for people who had, didn't know, didn't know the face or ID magazine from England. Um, so I did suddenly, in quite a short time frame, I worked with with Patrick Machalier and Peter Lindbergh and Bruce Weber and a bunch of those other people, and I just never landed in that in that Stephen orbit. I didn't actually even meet Stephen because that that was also at the time when you went on Go Sees and you went to meet people, and mm-hmm. I didn't even do that. So perhaps if I had met Stephen at the time, we might have we would have clicked and gotten along, and I might have worked with him. But I might. But not don't have. you think that you end up working with the photographers? who have a similar um, way of being or, or that to you? Kind of, but you're only always going to be a version of yourself. You're bringing something, to, ideally, of course, hopefully, you're bringing something to the picture that makes sense to that person. So when I worked with Peter, I could never be Stefan. I could never be Stefan Marais because I'm not. And he's a genius, and I'm there in a different capacity. I can do work that works for Peter and works with Peter and what he was doing. I worked with him, so I had those moments. And so the same thing, I never felt like I was necessarily the substitute teacher. I, did, I was like filling in someone else's shoes. But um, You've never had that feeling walking into set that you didn't feel that they wanted you there? Oh, I've done that. Of course we have. Of course I have. I've always, I've, I've often done that. I think I still do that to this day. I, I joked the other day, I did. I got some job. And of course, if you, if you get asked the day before, or perhaps two days before, you think, ah, I guess, I guess so-and-so stuck behind a bookcase or they've been kidnapped or something. You know, it used to be like they missed their flight and they, they've asked for you instead. So I still, of course, I feel like that. That's just normal. Um, but working with these, working with Bruce or working with um, Peter, working with Patrick, well, Patrick doesn't really count because he was everybody. Um, you know, you, you always want to think, rambling around the subject again, you always want to think you're there for a reason. So hopefully you bring something to that situation. But the something that you bring shouldn't be rigid and immobile there's something that you bring should be an openness and flexibility adaptability to the situation you find yourself in to see why you're there what you're doing and incorporating as much as you can and you understand how this works as well all those other elements so you are collaborating with a stylist with an editor the hair person the the props the set the girl the boy whoever the model is the environment, whether it's a white background or whether you're in the jungle or in a city street, you have to kind of have all your filters wide open to be able to absorb all that information and engage with it and then produce the work that makes sense of that situation with the ultimate aim of making the best picture. So that's a lot to process. Yes. These are like two different questions I have about you, and it's all me projecting onto you because I don't know you. <laughs> we never met in real life. Actually, one time when I was like in 2007, I was an assistant in, in LA assisting, and I saw you come out of like Ralph's, you know, mm-hmm. in West Hollywood. And I went, and I, by the way, I could see Tom Cruise. I don't care. I really, truly don't care about celebrity. And for some reason, I looked up at you and I went, 
you're Dick Page. I love your work. And you just, you looked at me and I don't even know if you said thanks or whatever. It was just like the most awkward moment. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I just did that. Oh, so I'm that, sure you, that was you. Okay. Yes. I'm sure you were like, you know, thank you and, and walked off. And I was like, oh God. Oh, well, I, um, was, get, I was getting married. It was quite a strange moment. That is was, that true? Yes. I was getting married in LA. That was, that was that moment when it was legal right before uh, the Prop 8 thing. Okay. So me and James came out to LA and decided to get married there. And so I think we got the City Hall license. And then I remember coming out. And I remember you, because you were on the phone to somebody. You don't really remember that. You were on the phone to somebody. And I don't know if you actually said I'll call you back, but you did. I I remember it very clearly. I was walking across the the car park. I assume everybody comes up to you on the, the street and says something like that. I mean, in our industry. No, they're too scared of me. I look scary. I'm shocked. I look scary in real life. Was it important for you to get married? Yes, it was. Why? Um, because I'm old enough to remember the legality and the, you know, the, the well, this is, of course, post, post the AIDS, not post AIDS. There is no post AIDS. It's continuing. But um, I understand what the, the horror stories of people, you know, of real, I'm doing air bunnies, family coming in and swooping in, taking away possessions and kicking people out of their homes because they had no legal protections. There was no. Uh, there was no rights of property for people who weren't legally connected somehow. You couldn't call, you couldn't um, use common law wife or husband or any kind of engagement that any court would recognize. So people had no protections. You either had, um, you had to go through all sorts of paperwork and get powers of attorney and control of, or people even used, men used to adopt each other. You know, heard these stories, of course. Um, and so when it came to be time, and the possibility of that came up. I was like, yes, we're getting married. We're going to write this shit down. This is going to be legal. We are going to have protection, equal protection under the law. In the same ways that, you know, people are quite blithely ignorant to some of this stuff. Uh, the people don't realize in many states in the US, you can still be fired just for being gay and no, you have no recourse to action. So the right. fact that that bullshit still exists means that, you know, here comes my, yes, I want that piece of paper. Did it and change you, how you, you felt about your, your husband or partner at the time? Did it add some element to your relationship or was it purely a contract for the, to it's, have your rights? Well, no, because you have, you have, I mean, as we know, we well know from like the, the litter and debris of divorces all around us, plenty of people get out of it before death do them part. So, um, you know, as binding and as contractually obliging as it is, people do get out of marriages, people divorce left, right and center. But the fact of it, the protection of it at the moment was important. And it didn't really change the way I felt about him, but it was there, there was something about the, uh, you know, you're drawing a line under your commitment to the engagement. So I'm taking this shit seriously, and here we go. Were you ever afraid it would ruin your relationship? No. See, I am, I've been with my partner for almost 19 years next uh-huh. month, and we're not married. Why, would it, why do you think it would ruin your relationship? Uh, because I know, because there's so many people who were like long-term partners and then got married. And then you hear that it ended. I do. You don't think that's possibly just coincidence or you just think. Right. I'm sure. Listen, I mean, there's no fact, there's nothing fact-based. I tell myself we had to define our love before it was, before it was allowed. And now it doesn't mean, you know, very dramatic. Yeah. It's very dramatic. Cause people are like, you should, why aren't you married? You should get married. Um, I also think I would become so entitled like uh-huh. I could just see myself feeling like very entitled over everything if I was married. And now I feel like I still need to be on my toes, you know, wake That's up every day and make sure it works for us. Um, How interesting. 
very. Back to you. Um, <laughs> so this is what I'm getting at. And this, please don't let this come across as disrespectful or rude, but I don't think that you play the fashion game in terms of like, uh, I think you're cool, but I don't think you put a big <laughs> emphasis on, I need to be cool and have people think I'm fabulous to do my job. Is that fair to say? I think so. But like you're cool in the way that like you don't give a fuck, but not in the way that you're like, I'm going to buy a Dior suit and wear Saint Laurent and like that oh, well, Well, because everyone just laughed their asses off. It doesn't make sense. Um, but that, dude, that's just, a, you know, I'm only ever going to be a version of myself. So sometimes I feel more fabulous than others. And sometimes I like to get, you know, look nice and you know, wash my hands and face and dress well. And sometimes I don't. And I, right. I have a big problem. But are you with, consumed you know, with, with coming across as cool? No, of course not. Absolutely. Oh, come on, really? And you it's, realize you're in the minority about that in our industry. Well, no, oh, but see, I don't, I mean, I, I don't, this is okay. Here's, this is weird. I don't think anyone in the industry working in our capacity really thinks anyone else is cool. Really? Do you? Do you? I don't think anyone actually is because there's too much to be really cool. You have to have a a detachment and a fuck it. And that's really hard to find. And we're all too obsessed and calculated with what would be chic or cool or the right thing. It's overthought. It's all overthought. See, that's interesting. I don't really think about that and like, like that because um, I think, you know, Okay, I've got. I have. I've certain hang-ups about fabulosity, general fabulosity, because the, and the, the only time it really comes into play in my work in my life is if I have if I have people who are working with me who are assisting me on. And I don't have a full-time assistant. I've never had a full-time assistant. I have people who work for me coming and going. But if it's a couple of models, I'll just do it myself. That's fine. I'm generally the biggest person in the room, so I can carry my own bags. Also fine. I don't rely on car services. I'm happy to get stuff in my backpack and take the train. Just normal. That's just, but that's just who I am. That's just normal. Um, that's not a, normal in our industry, though. Well, but for then, someone of your of your career, it's just not right. Okay, but um, but normal is own normal is, is as far as my outstretched arms. That's my normal. So right, it's just for you. How, how I exist, yes, how I work and live. And I like, you know, it's lovely to be spoiled. I love it if someone pays for me to go in the front of the plane. That's gorgeous. I like it. It's very nice if someone sends a car to pick me up from the airport. But I'll manage, you know. Um, so I've got a, so it's not, you know, it's not all necessarily positive. I've got a bit of a, you know, I want to carry my own bags. I want to do it myself. I want to be, I want to manage what's around me. I don't want to travel with more bags that I can ca- than I can actually carry myself if I, you know. That's just, mm-hmm. I think that's just, that just feels like common sense to me. But I also do have a problem with this idea of status and luxury with a, I don't know if it's a big or a small L really, but like the the vis- outward visible expression of money and the, the, the way that you present yourself, that you wear, that you can see. I was working with someone a little while ago and I could, you know, someone quite new and I was thinking, Oh my god! I can all the signs. These little—they're like little, little flags and pointers. Like here's the watch, and here are the shoes, and here's the bag, and his—and it seems very, very old-fashioned to me. It seems very weird, and also weirder still when it's big, current fashion house names where you're paying to advertise them. I know this like logomania thing has come and gone; it's all over the place. But like, why is this hooded 
sweatshirt, $1,500, and you're, you're walking as an advertisement for the brand. That, that is, this is gen, this is a genuine question. That's not just well, like, because there's a lot of, of new wealth in the world. And that's so, what new wealth does because so, you want to show that you've made your place and, you know, it's you think it's parvenu, but they think that they've made it right. Like, I suppose it just seems, it seems thin to me. It's just a very thin feel. Absolutely. Okay. I think that you could have been a, or are a painter. You could cook. You, one time my mom, cause you know, my mom is like a gardener in Oakland and a preschool teacher and knows nothing. She's an artist. Uh-huh. A real artist. And I actually think she would like, this sounds terrible, but I don't mean it that way. She'd probably have more in common with you as her son than me. <laughs> Seriously. Like you guys have, have more similar interests. I can, I have a little pretense about me in the, in a way, but you know, so I'll send her things, you know, I'll send her little things that you've done. And one day she was like that uh, Dick Page does everything and she wouldn't say it in this way, but like with excellence or he's good at everything he does. Right. And so I'm like, why would you choose to be in an industry then where we do care about having the Rolex and there's so much pomp and thing that like, for me, looking at you, like what draw, what drew you to the fashion industry? Because you have the talent to do whatever you want. Oh, that's very kind of you. Um, well, this, okay. So this is right. So when I, so when I started it, what it, of course it was a very DIY thing and the ancient history, everything's kind of like in crinkle vision, but, um, you know, starting for ID in the Face magazine and testing and working with everybody, doing like little test jobs. This is, of course, well before, well before the internet, before computers, before cell phones. You had a payphone. You had, you know, everything was very, very DIY and homemade. And of course, in the higher echelons of fashion, in the in the vogues in the world, which I wasn't allowed into, though there was already fabulosity going on. And very high-handed fabulosity, but that at that point, particularly England, it came from the sort of the class structure of things. For the most part, you could you know you could be in the vogues and do that kind of world. But there was the same thing that was happening at art and theatre. There were the cheeky chappies. There was the um, the new wave of theatre in the late sixties. There were the working class. There was Terence Donovan, David Bailey in the photography world, challenging the Snowdens and the aristocracy of the photography world, and then more rough and ready street artists coming in. And there were people coming up who could do hair who weren't doing hair for society ladies. Right. And unbeknownst to me at that time, Christiane, who I only knew from the like Stephen Sprouse and the post punk thing and Debbie Harry and Grace Jones, that kind of stuff. Christiane came from that salon background and moved to New York and did his. I mean, Christiane's like one of a friend and, and a hero in the sense that. He, you think I'm? You think I, I don't think I'm cool at all. Christian is cool, but cool in the understanding of the way that he does what he does and does w- with who he wants and how he wants and hands on. And you know, I, he's a he's an artist. He's a great artist. Um, so where I come from, sorry, backtracking. Like I said, I'm rambling around the subject. Um, it's all a bit DIY and handmade, but what I was interested in was the nature of the work. It was interesting, exciting to me to see an amazing record cover or the idea of a fashion show or, you know, see the bands on the TV, sh- on top of the pops and TV show wearing incredible clothes, looking amazing with like Toya Wilcox with their makeup and hair, those kind of things. And I wanted to, I wanted that creativity, that aspect of seeing things printed or in film or video, whatever it was to have been part of making those things. And honestly, the idea of how I presented myself never crossed my mind. It just it didn't factor at all. Did it give you a connection to, to femininity? Um, 
That's inter- that's an interesting question. Uh, I, I always had a connection to femininity. I was like, I was a I was a crazy little kid, like you know, the, drawing, painting, and stuff. And I have three sisters grew up in the south southwest. Well, I grew up. I was born in the south and grew up in the southwest of England. Very into film and theatre things from quite early on. Drama at school and English literature and language. Saw a lot of plays. Probably felt quite girly anyway, without knowing why I felt girly. But also did boy things and was in the rugby team and did that kind of stuff. But like kind of reluctantly, but sort of into it, but kind of not really. Track and field, sort of good, not good enough, really. Uh, but just just that mess of things that you are as you grow up. And some Were things... you allowed to be yourself? Yes. Like even by kids in school? No. I mean, you get into fights and you'd be bullied, or and, but you push back or you don't push back or you... But I think, like like everyone does, I was I wasn't tormented. I had some like good bits and bad bits, like everybody does. And um, mm-hmm. so you didn't, you, you didn't, you never had um, issues about masculinity or being gay. They're not the same thing. I'm, you know, I understand that, but like it wasn't, um, it wasn't something you had to figure out in your mind. There was no cognitive dissonance around it. Oh no, I absolutely had to figure it out in my mind, but it wasn't at the time. It wasn't, you know, again, hindsight, retrospect. I mean, at the time it wasn't like I was thinking, ah, I got to get to the bottom of this, you know, no pun intended, but um, mm. the weirdness of it, why, why do I feel like this compared to this person? Why is this person like that? Why am I, you know, you just, you just are. And I think that's something that plays in, I mean, I, I have my favorite feelings about the idea of teenagers. I sort of love seeing a kid on the train or in the street who's got that, that kind of burning teenage mania where they look incredible. They have this whole look going on and you can tell they are, they are doing their, their demons. They're they, look at me, look at me, notice me. Don't look at me. Don't give me any attention to be making yourself as visible and out there as possible, but still simultaneously feeling completely withdrawn and defensive about looking a certain way, but you can't help yourself because you kind of got to be there. And I think that's great that, that, people still are able to do that. And I think it's a shame when people get it knocked out of them. And the individual individuality sort of disappears, you know? Yeah, so- well, a, a lot of what we've been describing, like, is completely opposite to what is at least commercially successful right now. Hmm. See, that's another thing. I don't know really what is commercially successful right now because I just tend to ignore most of what's around. You, I mean, of course, you can fall down a easily into an Instagram or Reddit rabbit hole and see a million videos of this how-to or this beauty or this makeup or this fashion or whatever. Mostly it's deeply, deeply boring. Right. Um, it's it's on a tiny screen for people with a very short attention span. And I don't, that's another thing, I don't really give a shit about popular culture. Right. I'm kind of engaged in things that happen. I've, I missed, you know, I like, you know, Mel Ottenberg jokes about me being a bad gay and I get my card taken away because I couldn't get into drag race. I never watched any of those Real Housewives shows. I find them really aggravating. I don't, you know, I don't particularly celebrate poor behavior. Or, you know, I don't mind, a, like, a bit of well-written bitchery, but just... It has to be smart. You just don't like things that aren't well done. Well, just people turning tables over and having tantrums. Big fucking deal. Who cares, you know? Right. Grow up. <laughs> just right. like, I'm a little intolerant of that stuff. I mean, you know, I'm not going to be tolerant of their intolerance of my intolerance. So what... You seem like also you seem unbothered by a lot of things. Like you don't let a lot of things like um, get to you or get under your skin. Is that accurate? 
Well, things do, but I mean, it, it, it's I. You know, I'm not. You're making me sound like I'm much more together than I am. Um, I, you know, I get bothered by stuff in the way that people generally get bothered by stuff. Unfortunately, sadly, and inevitably, bothered by political situations and right. the state of things. But then, how can you not be bothered by the state of things? Um, but, and if there's something I can help with, then I'll do it. And if it's something I can control, I'll do it. If it's out of my control entirely, then I won't do it. And I can't really ultimately be bothered by it. I do, you know, I got a real hair across my ass about the whole influencer thing a while ago with beauty, thinking this person is deeply, deeply talentless. Right. They don't seem to have had an original idea in their lives. Yet here and, they are. And is getting paid by big brands and getting contracts. Oh, just wading through rivers of cash. It's like, so that's quite disheartening. But, but you say it doesn't affect you, but it does because that brand has X amount of dollars for marketing and PR, mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily going to the top 10 makeup artists in the world. It's, a lot of it's going to the top 10 influencers in the world. Yeah, well, that's the thing is that influencers are is a quite a recent plague. It came before the cicadas, um, and they're everywhere. Maybe fading out, I don't know, but I think it's also a bit of a strange way to live. Also, what does influencer mean, really? It's just like, if you're that powerful, someone's hanging on your every word about how you put your lipstick on or how you do your hair or something. It's just it's like a very strange, tenuous, and not ultimately very interesting way of living but you know a brand is a brand is a business is a business like any business like a car or anything you know car industry anything they're going to go they're going to put their money presumably where the money is going to come back to the flow back to them a million fold same as a long time ago there was you know there was stuff in the tabloids about the amount of money that models make and you know so and so made whatever millions and her contract for victoria's secret and you think well okay victoria's secret is not a charity clearly they're making money hand over fist with their bras so they can do this, and it's given them publicity. Look at them; they're in your newspaper right now, talking about it. So it's working. So until um, until they had you know a bunch of problems, and now they're starting over. Well, like everything, you know, things yeah. things fall apart. But um, so you had one of the biggest cosmetic contracts. Oh, I worked with Shiseido. Yeah, I had I did a, right. a, I worked with Shiseido for twenty years. And How does was, this influencer culture affect that? you don't work with them anymore. Is it related at all? Oh, absolutely. I'm sure. Well, the thing is, I mean, the company changed management and this and that happened and that the other happened. And then um, they decided in their infinite wisdom that they were going to use um, more regional. This actually sort of makes sense. I suppose they would use more regional influencers or makeup artists in different markets. So someone who did more in in different parts of Asia, someone did more in Europe and someone did this and that and the other. And uh, So it's PR. Like a, it's not about creating... The, the makeup brand and being a and being an artistic director. No, it's see, about I, well, having enough cheerleaders in each region to say buy this, buy this. Yes, I think so, and I think whoever is, I'm not sure who's working. Actually, no, I don't know who's working there now. Who's doing uh, actual color creation? I don't know if they have anyone doing actual color creation anymore. I don't either. I don't. I don't think they do. Because, yeah. but, but you know, how did you I, go from doing that and having like one of the absolute, I imagine, best positions? as a makeup artist and mm-hmm. you know, all of the, all of the um, accolades that come with that and the money alone. Mm-hmm. And then when you're told, Oh, I'm sorry, we're, we're going to go in a different direction. Was that like, were you apoplectic about it? No, not at all. I mean, I was, I was surprised it went on as long as it did really, because we went through so many changes and the, you know, 
In a, this is, is why I think you're a saint because what? I would have been like, oh my God, I depend on that money. How dare, you know, and you're like, well, no, not at all. Like you're, well, you're unbothered. Well, because I'm, you know, it's, it's pragmatic. I'm just, a, I'm just a realist. It went on as long as it did, and it was great. And then it wasn't anymore. And so I did something else. And so but one how thing. How do you happened- keep your expectations at that level? Once you get more, you you ex- you come to expect that, right? Like if I'm used to having a taking an Uber to work, and all of a sudden someone tells me I have to like carry my kid across the park. I've become accustomed to having a car service. You know, you became accustomed to. Uh, a, a certain thing, and then it was taken away from you, and you're and you're just kind of like very rational about it. How well, do because, you how do you have that? How do you have that frame of mind? Well, because I'd have been a fool to think otherwise. I mean, you know, you don't ever expect anything's going to last. I mean, it's not a you know, I wasn't indentured. I didn't have a lifetime position, and jobs come and go. I mean, you know how it works in this business. Like if you if you had a seizure every time you didn't get a job or didn't have something, then you would really, I would have lost my mind a long time ago. So, you know. But Dick, you know that that's a very evolved way of living. Well, I don't know if it's evolved necessarily. It's just just common sense. I mean, I've been doing this for a really long time. Nothing is certain in any position. Things change all the time. So you adapt or die, don't you, really? You know, you, you do things differently. You behave slightly differently. What it did for me, I mean, I, I missed I, I missed going to Japan a lot and I missed the people I was working with. That was a great fun. And also my work process, the way I used to work, was to paint and take my paintings to Japan and they, were, they would match the paintings or things I took photographs of and we would build these collections together. And that was a very long-winded but very, you know, very fulfilling way of working. It was very rewarding to work in that in that capacity. So I miss this. I miss the structure of that and that kind of way of working. But so when that went, one thing it did give me was a lot less money and a lot more time. So I was able to do more shoots. I was able to work with different people. I was able to do different projects, took a bit more time off. You know, it was just, I think it's just, that's just a a normal progress of a working life. You don't always expect, well, also interesting way of progress. Progress isn't always going to be, toward making more money or toward bigger exposure or towards a certain, you know, maybe you're moving more into an artistic direction. Maybe you're moving more into a super commercial direction. Maybe you, you know, every, everyone's different. Everyone changes. And you clearly live beyond, don't live beyond your means because that would be very hard. Yes. Yeah. You live, live, live as you live. I mean, and that's, you know, obviously you could afford a, you know, well, no one's making any money right now. I'm mean, sure some people are making money, I guess. This last year has been kind of uh, difficult for everybody. Rich people are making money right now. Oh, of course they are. But the rich, if you have money, it's easy to make money. We know that from, you know, everyone knows that. That's, that's you know, Taylor's old as time, as the song goes. Yeah, if you've got money already, it's not that hard to keep making money. Unless you're really stupid. So somebody on your team, I read, you talked about someone annoying you. There was someone on your make team backstage and they were doing all the social media stuff, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, um, you know, you're the key artist. And I, and by the way, they're working underneath you. They should absolutely follow direction and do what you want, how mm-hmm. you want it to go. They need decorum, right? Right. But the advice to say to someone uh, of coming up now all they would be told by agents or brands or everyone, because I know this because I'm told 
these things is more behind the scenes, credit who you use, show Mm -hmm. us more things. So I don't know if it's possible to have a career in the way that you reference your own career today, if you were starting out. That is such a weird way to say it, but do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. No, I mean, I think it's impossible. I've said this many times, the idea that I don't think, um, style is a tricky word. I don't think in the way that I work and the kind of work that I've done, I don't know if it's possible to make an impact nowadays or to find find yourself in the world um, with any degree of, of subtlety or smallness or lightness of hand, because so I don't why don't ha- you let your assistant take a selfie? No, assistant could take a selfie, but no, I, I just you know <laughs> okay. I don't want anyone to you know, No one should be. I mean, you know what? Do do good work. Don't be promoting yourself over other things. Also, I said but that I right there is antiquated. Well, but I mean, if you want to be good. successful, I mean, I'm projecting all right and left on this. Well, no, but this is the thing is that d- this is what depends on how you measure success. Is your success because you do good work and it's interesting, engaging, you're creating, or are you successful because you're making bank? And if you're successful making, if you want to be successful make, and make bank, then knock yourself out. Then, of course, by all means, behave, do what you need to do to make money and live and work in that way. That's your prerogative. You are, you are yourself. Um, my thing was I, I started doing makeup because I thought it'd be fun. It looked like a fun thing to do and I would enjoy it. And, you know, I never knew it would take me as far as it has. That was much more luck than judgment. But I think, uh, again, I, I can't say any of this with any, any certainty. I think because I came into the job before I really knew it was a career, thinking this looks like fun. This is something I can do. Um, I think I was sort of giving myself some um, degree of, I don't know, a protective structure way of mm-hmm. thinking about things because it wasn't, I didn't train for it. I didn't earn it in any way necessarily apart from working and trying to meet people and working and doing stuff. But I didn't feel like I was burning with ambition and like trampling people to get where I wanted to go. But when you're flown to New York to mm-hmm. meet Calvin Klein yeah. and do his runway show, this is no longer, oh, this is just fun. Like that must have been a moment where you went, oh, this shit is real and it can, you know, everybody's yeah. watching. Well, kind of, but th- you also have to remember at the same time, no one was really watching. You know, you had to look for this. You had to look in the pages of the magazine. There was a, a couple of little TV shows. You know, Elsa Clench was on CNN. There was some reporting, but you know, it was small reporting. Fashion wasn't regarded with any kind of sense of scale. Well, everyone in the, the industry, let's say. Okay, you know, everyone like in the, the industry. The big stylists who are going to help you or photographers right. were now being known. But you had to look for it. It didn't pop up on your phone because there was no phone for it to pop up on. It didn't pop up on the internet because there was no internet for it to pop up on. So you had to look for this information. Or you had to know people in the business who were saying, oh, so-and-so's doing Calvin now, or so-and-so's doing this. I went to buy makeup. Um, I went to buy makeup for the Calvin show the first time I did it. I was in New York and I went to Bergdorf Goodman's and I was buying this one lipstick that I liked because I was putting lipstick on the nose and the cheeks. And um, and I said to the lady, oh, do you have six of these? Because I was going to cut them up to give to people to use for the show. And she said, oh, you're working in Fashion Week? And I said, I said yes, I, I just you know, got here a few days ago. I'm doing the Calvin Klein show. And she said, oh, you're working with Francois? And I said, no, I'm, I'm, doing, the, I'm doing the makeup. For the, I'm doing the main makeup for the Calvin Klein show. And she actually patted my hand and said, oh, no, honey, Francois does Calvin. <laughs> which was like 
I was that was probably the, the most exciting thing that had happened because I thought that was so insane and hilarious and weird. And I was just like, okay, this is, and that made me a little bit nervous. And that was weird. Not only that, but then you, you went in and did a very undone, pared down, no makeup look. Did that feel defiant and, or like, how did you have the gall to put your shoulder behind that and say, when all these lights come up and everybody's watching, how am I not going to look like, like someone who is an imposter or, you know, a fool? Oh, I feel like that to this day. Um, you do? But, yeah, of course. You're always expecting the tap on the shoulder. So like, what are you doing here? Who do you think you are? Um, no, but the thing about Calvin was, the brilliant thing about Calvin was, you know, me and Melanie Ward and David Sims came you know, a beat after Kate being picked up for Calvin. Uh, Kate Moss being picked up for Calvin. Um, because we did so much stuff with Kate for the face and for ID and stuff in England, for various bits and pieces. So we came kind of on in the the next wave, like after on Kate's coattails, essentially. We right. all knew Kate since she was, you know, she was a kid. Um, so Calvin, Polly Hamilton, who was styling Calvin at the time, and I think Fabian Barron probably as well, say, simultaneously, were, were saying, you know, they wanted me and Guido in for Calvin because of what we'd done with Kate, because they'd seen it. So basically all we were doing was being asked to bring what we did. It wasn't, you know, so they'd seen stuff we'd done already. So it was like, that the request basically was come here and do that for Calvin. So we went to New York and did that for Calvin. It was very straightforward. And then we had the makeup and hair test and Guido did what he did. And I did what I did. And Calvin said, that's it. And I said, um, yeah, pretty much. And so he said, okay, which is, you know, why someone like Calvin is a genius in his field because he has the eye and the common sense to realize what's going to work for him and make sense of the moment. And, you know, of course, working with, with the people who are doing the thing as authentically as possible is going to make sense for you. So that's just that's just a good eye. Do you still ever get nervous? Yes. What would be your fear? Um, well, the, 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 it's not exactly fear, but um, I get uncomfortable sometimes. If, I, if I'm in a situation, I think I'm going to be asked to do something that either I don't think I'm very good at or doesn't feel natural to me. Like, you know, you know, if you're throwing a sack of money at me, I am happy to catch it and I'll do the job. I'm very you know, practical like that. But sometimes I'm doing something creatively and there's a suggestion or an idea or a feeling of something. I think I'm not your man. I can do it, but there's probably 20 people who can do this better than me. Or I can bring you, I can arrive here in a way that makes sense to me, but might still not quite be what you're seeing. But that's also the nature of collaboration. So you don't want, it's like the, someone having the mood board and saying, you have, I want this. And you're saying, yes. well, that is not me, but yeah, I can but, do it. But I would say that that's the thing I, that that wouldn't happen because I would do it and I would find a way to do it. Or I would say, how about that? Or I'd do a version. I'd, I'd, I'd meet them. This is the other thing of like, um, makeup, makeup sort of should look like hell halfway through. Mm -hmm. um, or when you start, or maybe almost as you finished, you know, it's it's uh, uh, you know, you're painting, you're you're building something. Um, I hate when you're doing someone and they get up to use the restroom, and I'm like, don't look in the mirror. <laughs> you know, like a celebrity, I, I do that a lot. I'm like, don't look in the mirror; it's not good right now. You know, like right. you're at a bad moment to look in the mirror if you think yeah. you're going to like what you see. 
Well, that's another thing. I mean, another angle of that is you know, the, the celebrity thing. Like, you know, I don't, I don't do very much of that. It's, it has, it, of course, it's happened, uh, but it's not. I don't believe it's my strength at all. I don't think you know. I always feel like someone who can do this better than me because of the personality or because of the the eye. Uh, because I maybe because I tend to think people look to to me at least. I think people look great with not very much on their faces or mm-hmm. if they do have a lot of stuff on their faces, I mean, I, you know, I can do a good strong look like anyone, but it, it only is, it's, you know, still probably only a 15, 20 minute job. Um, I don't, I don't do a lot of structure. I do think, I mean, that's not true. Uh, I do, I do everything. I have done everything. I can do everything, but my, I'm drawn more. There's always a the point creation. in the interview where the, where the person I'm with goes, I can do everything and I am great. <laughs> well, because I, I mean, I wouldn't have the gall to show up and, you know, pretend otherwise. Right. There's a reason I'm there. Um, I think but, of but, you as this saying that just because you can, doesn't mean you should. Yeah, basically. I mean, and also, well, also the, the, um, I'd like to think of metaphorically and, practically stepping back from the subject because that's another th- problem I had quite a long time ago with the advent of this very, you know, people doing their own makeup themselves in their little room. that sort of presaged the idea of the pandemic of this trapment that people like box themselves and all looking at a little face. I don't really care about just a close up. De- I mean, probably one of the few makeup artists in the world who doesn't care to see a close up of beauty. I don't care. I'm not interested. I want to see, the person in an environment or see the rest of their clothes or see what their body is saying. Um, I, no, I agree. The context. You know, yeah, it. Just, because just makeup in person. and of itself is very presentational then. Look at me. Look yeah, at this yeah. thing I did, which is cool in beauty sometimes, I guess, but it's well, much cooler when you have the challenge of understanding who the woman is, where she's going, how much money she has, you know, all of that. And then you go, okay, now what's the makeup? Right. Well, I want. I mean, it's it's all of a piece. I want to see a great picture, and sometimes naturally, because it's what I do, what we do, the eye goes to the makeup. You can't help it. But you're bound to look at the makeup. Um, but I am still most excited by a great photograph. So if I'm whether I'm looking, you know, whether I'm looking at Jamie Hawksworth or Gary Winogrand or Diane Arbus or Sally Mann or you know, any, I'm I'm looking. I want the feeling of the photograph. Mm-hmm. You want to be floored by that photograph, to, you know, the emotional reaction to something. I came across a really great photograph, and it was of you in oh, the nude taken by Carl Lagerfeld. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was, was that like? Are you just so comfortable that you're like, I, I, you can strip down and just be like, this is me, how God made me? Well, it was after dinner at Carl's house. He had a, there was a big, some big, I'm not sure what it was for, really. There was a big, he had a place that was on uh, Rue de l'Université in Paris. And I was with Linda Evangelista, and Carl wanted to take Linda's picture. It was a for portfolio for V Magazine. Uh, no, v, no, Visionaire. Visionaire. It was a Visionaire portfolio of, of different nudes. And so I know what sort of dinner was. It was a big dinner. It was lots of people. And then afterwards, Carl was taking pictures. And uh, I remember that Demi Moore was there. And I think Narciso Rodriguez was there. Also, know, to get photographed a, nude Linda. after you've had a big meal is brave. But well, keep going. Well, drunk, you know, it's like this was the 90s um, or something. Yeah, 90, yeah, 90s, I guess. Um, anyway, so Carl wanted to do Linda's picture, and she, um, and so we said, well, we have to do her makeup and hair. So we raided Carl's bathroom and found – she found, we found this beautiful – I think it was a, some kind of maybe body oil or grease something. And we covered Linda in that, 
to make her really shiny. And then Carl took her picture, and then he said, "And then he said, now we take your picture." And I said, "Okay." So I took my clothes off. And he took the picture. Wait, wait, wait. Who, who, whose idea was it to take the clothes off? His. Yes, because he was. And taking- you had no insecurity about it. No. Bravo. Oh, it's you know you're born naked, you die naked. You know. Well, okay. The one thing I do know from Drag Race and RuPaul's thing is you're born naked and everything else is drag. Right. True enough, right? And, you know, we all go to the beach or we all go to the swimming pool or whatever we do. It's like big deal. Yeah. So I was saying, like, I look at, at you're like really good chef or cook. Cook. Um, you're good painter. Mm, I like that. Well, fantastic makeup artist. This is the most compliments in the, in the interview you're going to get. Oh, okay. Thank you very much. And also your I'll sense of it. color. And just like I, you're either you're mixing paint. I'm obsessed with color, and mm-hmm. I and I recognize some Good. of myself in you that I feel like I could, um, almost like sober, but almost be on shrooms looking at color and mm-hmm. thinking about the most minute addition of black or gray and what that might do, and then yes. and all of that. What aren't you good at? Oh, that's also a good question. I th- well, I'm not. I'm not good at. I'm not good at all at this kind of high glamour fakery. I'm not good at all at that. I'm not good with this. So I should be out of a job. I'm not good with this, with the contoury highlight sculpty thing. Um, probably not good at it. Because I mean, maybe I'm good. At it. I haven't tried it. Yeah, but just um, because you don't like it, I don't. But like is there it. something that you wish you were good at and you just aren't good at and makes you feel? inferior projection um, again no that's interesting no, i mean no because this ah well, so my mom point. was right you everything you do is with excellence well no because there's obviously there's things i can't do but there's there are very often as well things that i don't want to do i don't really feel like applying myself to the idea of sculpty contoury highlighty this that and the other things for the face because also this is again without sounding too high-handed or philosophical i never see a face as a series of things that i'm there to fix mm-hmm. i think that's very very short-sighted and very boring and um very boring and it and it's weird it happens occasionally you know strangely more often with hair people like there's you know hair some sometimes a hair person they'll want to do the yanking thing with with like the braids on the side or they'll say something about oh the lace front on the wig we can do this and pull this up and you know and now what she's she's 23 years old what are you pulling what are you yanking what's got you know what's going on that we're changing this girl's face because but what about someone like as you work as an artist or at least I do you start to see see things in, in patterns, right? And there's a certain eyeliner that I'm not going to do on someone's this shape of eye. And I don't think about it, but I just know it's not going to be, unless you're doing something 60s where like everything was going down and it was, a, that was a style. Mm-hmm. There are things you do to try to, to enhance or not enhance, unless you only work with models and then it doesn't matter. But then there's there's plenty of models who have different you know the the angle and the line of the features and the shape of the faces you know I mean I've I've had to send models back to to share or usually change it myself because it's quicker than trying to ask the person to correct it is um pe- well people overdraw lips as a matter of course if that's the default idea is I am going to make your lips bigger I you know I feel like that, that wants a round table meeting because I'd like to I'd or well, the meeting that I clearly missed. 
you know, that I've said a, a little while ago, like, where was I? I was obviously out of the country when there was the meeting that decided that noses were all skinny and eyes is tilted upward, eyes tilted upwards and, you know, lips were enormous. This seems very shorthanded and lazy. And also, it only draws attention to the fact that your lips are not what you want them to be and you're insecure about it. But the, maybe the person themselves isn't insecure about it, but they've just found themselves in this world where there is no option. That's the, that's the weird well, part of we're, it, we're in it? a world where there's no option, but you have to use lip liner. Oh, I don't know. It's very boring, isn't it? This is the thing, yeah. you see. Um, it's, I also quote Lucy Greeley a lot. She wrote a book called Autobiography of a Face, and, um, which was amazing years ago. It's a very good book. And in it, there's one brilliant part when she wrote, she's, she had a congenital jaw deformity and required multiple surgeries and stuff. And it's not all boo. It's a very hard, it's a brutal book. She's a very interesting writer and very interesting mind. Um, but um, she said she realized quite young that the girls who are considered prettiest, I'm paraphrasing, the girls who are considered prettiest in high school, the girls who are the best at looking like everyone else. Exactly, yeah. And that's unfortunately what I see a lot of in, in beauty is this kind of, and like I said before, it's my own full fault to fall down that Instagram or Reddit or YouTube rabbit hole this idea that, you know, eyebrows are sculpted in this way and then there's this much oil on the skin, there's a cut crease and there's the, always a false eyelash. I fucking hate false eyelashes. Oh, can we swear? I swore. Oh, um, yeah. Fuck yeah. You know. So, you know, and there's always a false eyelash. There's always the brow. There's always this. And the, the problem, of course, then is that, you know, you we pump up and exaggerate this idea of this synthetic elements, these constructed elements of beauty to the point where, even a modestly made-up face starts to look raw or naked, which I'm fine with because I love a naked face. But it's just our expectation of what we see in a face is strange. I, I said a little while ago, I, did a, I didn't go full like knives out, but um, a thing I did with um, Bella Hadid for Porter magazine, it was a makeup. We were on the beach. It was early. It was a bit windy. And it re- literally was... A couple of minutes makeup. It was a little. It was probably basically exactly the same as the Calvin makeup from 1992. Um, dab of lipstick on the nose, on the cheeks, bit of like dirty brown smudge around the eyes. Sort of brushed up the eyebrows. She had sunscreen on, of course. Naturally, we're on the beach. Uh, probably the same thing on the lip. The lip color, the cheek color, the same thing. So we see freckles. It was all the stuff. And this very well-meaning and, and very kind young lady did a, a breakdown YouTube tutorial of this makeup. And it was so many steps and this and that and the other with the highlight and the thing and all this kind of business. And I was thinking, I guess um, I guess someone's seeing this and they're looking for what they feel like they need to see in order to make sense of this makeup. Where actually there was, you know, what happens if you don't powder skin? It's a highlight. Guess what? You know, that's... Um, and it's not... I don't and it won't it, have chunky glitter. Well, exactly. It's, I mean, you you very often space space and restraint is important for very much for my work. You know, yeah, I, I was fortunate. I, I assisted um, for like four years when I was starting out, and I I was on set and got to see things like we're not going to curl the lashes, mm-hmm. and that was a choice. No mascara, like little yeah. tiny details that became. For me, what I love the most, where it was like, look at that little thing that we chose not to do. Look yes. at this, you know, statement by not making a statement. Yeah. 
um, that, that I find hard to translate now. So that's interesting. Cause I think that actually makes the, makes the most sense right now. I find that's something I, I constantly do. You'll, I mean, well, me, I do. That's what I do. I don't think you get a lot of, um, it doesn't create a lot of noise. People style watch is not going to be like, Oh my God, you know what we're seeing? You know, no mascara. It doesn't oh, sell product. No absence is hard to sell. Um, but that's also one of the reasons why it's interesting. Um, it's quite funny to think that you can, well, basically, again, that's a Calvin. I got some horrible press, actually, interestingly enough. Oh, good. Uh, f- from, from Calvin when it came out. I got a, a lot of, I got, I got sort of, I got like kind of, um, the stray buckshot from the whole waif heroin chic thing of people saying, you know, those girls look like they haven't slept in their lives and the dark circles and this and that and the other and the heroin and the drug and thing. And you, of course, what you want to say is, well, you've clearly never seen someone with a really bad drug problem because right. you do heroin and look darling, better. I, yeah, I dare you. Yeah, darling, this is not it. Um, so the weirdness of that, and you know, there's just the general weirdnesses, and largely coming from as you know, is broadly discussed now. This the understanding is of misogyny that women are fair game, and we can come after them for any reason whatsoever. How dare you dress up like this? How dare you be a slob? How dare you? You know, if you put your, you know, if you go take the trash out in your sweats film star she's a slob if she dresses up to pick up the kids from school who does she think she is you can't win so well, the only way to win is actually to not give a fuck and not read the comments and just live your life exactly i think that cancel culture only exists if you're a slave to the commerce of it right you can't be canceled no one can really get in your brain and cancel you they can cancel things that you want to do in popular culture it's one of the thing it doesn't really mean anything because everyone like there's we, we are we are navigating a very tricky time this idea of god help us inclusion inclusivity in fashion what does that even mean does it mean that you've been waiting for people to open the door for you because now we say like oh we never realized there were pretty fat girls before what the fuck are you talking about this is what is that you know it doesn't compute it's all commerce it's all it's all bank in the same way as when brands suddenly started using lots of Asian models, it's like, it's bank. They want to sell to this market. It's just Everything common comes from sense. Money, right? it come, it's, of course. There's a reason. This this big brand is now, they now have 50 shades of foundation. Well, guess what? I knew when there were 10 and they were all for white women. They're doing it now because it's a market. It's a thing they want to do. They want to be seen to be doing the right thing. It's just, it's all. But you also might not need signposting. Like I, I don't carry fifty shades around. No, no, but because you mix. You're, no, you mix right. But we're talking about the you know consumer, the, public, the, the consumer that wants to see themselves and find their makeup. There's always been makeup available for every skin tone because you do what I did when you started and you have no money. You go to theatrical supply store. I used to go to Charles Fox in London in in um, Covent Garden, which is now I think a cry, primarily a Cryland store, um, but Charles Fox supplied makeup for the theatre district in London. Um, same thing here. You you would buy theatrical makeup because there have of course been black actors and actresses and actors, actors and actresses of all different colors for a very long time. And you can find Joe Blasco or Ben Nye. You can find those skin colors. They existed. They just weren't commercially available, which is why, with good reason, very many black models would be nervous backstage because they think, okay, well, what color am I going to be today? I'm going to go into a fashion show, and I'm going to be a dark grayish pink. Maybe on the way to brown, maybe not quite. But Dick, I I get sent makeup every day and I go through the shades that are still being sent to me and they might have 50 shades and two of them are skin-like. Mm-hmm. 
Like the, I, I still think that people don't, I still think that just because there's so many more options, they're not being made by art necessarily by people who know how to do good skin. No, they're not. You know what I mean? Like, okay, you came out with 50 shades, but ha- but half of them are orange and the other half are just look like alien, you know? Well, that's the tricky part because, you know, I've, I've even had, I've had models say, you know, I brought my foundation and I'm, I'm glad you did, but uh, it isn't the right color for you. Uh, yeah, I've had that too. <laughs> but of course, we've, we've all had that. That happens. But the tricky, the other, like to pile on to this idea of things is now who even knows what color someone is because there's the ton of foundation and then there's all this extra concealer and stuff. I mean, I've, again, if I've had new people on team, sometimes I think that's a heavy hand. You can't be the, the great triangles of concealer and the base in this whole, you know, you, you haven't looked at the person in front of you. This is a big Don't part you think the- it's really hard to teach how to do skin? No, I don't think it is really. Because you have to teach the person how to see the woman. If you, because it's not hard to teach how to put the product on. No, that's easy. But it, but it's that what I always call salad dressing. Like it's too much. It's not enough. The coverage. It's the right color. It has to be. Per- I think like for someone, I think I could say to somebody, an assistant, okay, we're doing winged eyeliner and exaggerate the tip. That's mm-hmm. easier to say. It's by rote. It's a lot harder to really sit there and look at someone's skin and make it your version of the most beautiful possible. Well, it t- took me years to learn how to t- to really look and see it. Well, that's well. Okay, so yeah, it's 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 in the hand and the eye, and also how you see things. Like you know, I I have my various hangups and versions of this, and the main one is I need to be in natural light. I have to be. I go. I'll go outside, or I'll go by the window. I'll go. You know, in, near something with a skylight. I won't work in the studio with those stupid light bulbs. I bring my own light, and I'll change the color temperature so it matches right. daylight. Um, so once you're in the light, that's half your battle. If you're really looking at the face and you're in good light, then what have you got? To, what have you got to do? It's it should be easy. You just make it look like that, but you know better. Yeah, it's so rude. Everything I say sounds so rude and condescending, but not to you. <laughs> but people, but the, the the art of skin has been lost. I'm shocked when I actually see people what they're the matching going on is. It's not what you think. It's well, not that easy. The th- okay, so it's tricky because people try to do too much because if they're trying to match skin all over, first of all, skin isn't one color. Um, so there's not that many instances really where you need to put foundation all over the face. Right. So, you know, so that's that's it. Okay, that, that helped. Already you took one step away. Um, you think, of, okay, this is the one thing. I, it's like, here's as, as close as I get to a mantra. Think about what you're doing and think about why you're doing it. And I use that to talk to people, to ask them to break routine. Don't just do it because you've always done it. Don't just do that because that's the thing that you do. It's not step-by-step. And if it is step-by-step, those steps aren't always going to be in the same order, and the steps aren't always going up. Sometimes the steps are going down. You know, you've got to... You, you need to have a fluid awareness of how you're working and why you're working and what's, what's, what, are you, what are you going for? Where are you, where's the face going with this? What's the, you know, there's no fixed point that you need to find yourself out to say the face is finished, the face is complete because the girl might go and put a coat on and suddenly the face is no longer finished or something needs to come off. Um, there's got to be fluidity in the hand-eye connection and understanding of what you're seeing in front of you and the angle of the face and the absoluteness of the person as they stand away from you 
or they step into different light. It's a different time of day. Suddenly the face feels different. The bright sunlight versus the sun behind the cloud. Shade, open light, you know, open shade versus bright light, you know, reflection, dullness, shadow, it all, you know, light, light is the main event. You're really, you're, you're talking about how you're dealing with the way that the light falls on the face. Ramble, ramble, ramble. Do you learn that from also being a painter? You, well, yes, I suppose. But I mean, it's more critical when you're dealing with something that's moving and talking back to you. Right. So, you know, so. I, I like that. Um, one other thing I wanted to know. So you, you used to do, well, at least in my memory, you were doing the Mark Jacobs show for a really long time. I did. I did Mark for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. And then Francois came out of retirement uh-huh. and then he started doing it. Yeah. How do you, I would be, I would take that very personally. I take everything personally, but, um, which is my problem. But how did you handle that? Um, well, but Francois did it before me. And as far as we know, he didn't go into an asylum after I started doing the show. It didn't, you know, didn't seem to hurt him any. Um, that's the nature of things. I mean, I, I did Helmut Lang for a long time. I did Helmut's shows until Helmut stopped doing the, stopped designing the collection himself. Um, but Francois did Mark's shows before me. And then poetically, Francois did uh, Mark's shows after me. So, no harm, no foul. Yeah, you have no id, you know, that, that little, like, child inside that's like, you know, it's not there, I want what I want. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, you no, know, I've got, I mean, those, the, you, all, you have those feelings and reactions and responses to things, but you do have a, I guess you, I mean, you, we all have some kind of a, a, a way of absorbing or acknowledging them without them destroying us. I mean, you can't lose your shit every time something you do doesn't turn out the way you want it. I'm going to play a psychic moment before we wrap this up. (laughs) I think that you do makeup very quickly. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is a movement in your stroke to doing things that there's an emotion and a a tempo Mm -hmm. just from looking at your work. Is that accurate? Um, I suppose, I mean, I, I do, I believe in, I believe in there's some kind of rhythm of the way of working. It looks to me, it's nothing's overworked. I think that's what I would characterize your makeup as not overworked. The lip looks like you could, you could touch it and it might smear. Yeah. And, you know, somebody put it on and it wasn't, you know, this like painstaking build, you know, Mm -hmm. build by numbers kind of thing. And that's what I like about what you do. Thank you. Yeah, one well, of the things. Well, I, I mean, I, th- I, th- you know, makeup, makeup has to live on the face. The person, you know, there's nothing worse than immobilizing someone. I, I mean, I feel the same way about fashion. I mean, if you can't go up the stairs in the shoe, or you can't sit in the dress, or any of, the, I mean, you can you can look astonishing and incredible and still be practical minded. You can still take the bus. You can still, you know, we we deal with. Even if we're freezing moments for a photograph or we're making a tableau of whatever the thing happens or making a moment for a fashion show that doesn't last very long but is recorded for eternity, um, animation, that's that's the – I meant to get to – I don't know how – didn't get to this before somehow. Animation is the most important thing to me, which is probably one of my hang-ups about this whole structurally contoury bits and pieces because it, it, it suggests a fixed light source. It suggests immobility. 
and I'm not interested in immobility. I'm interested in, in animation and action and movement. I like to see people. This is one you like going to the You're theater. suggesting that there are thoughts and emotions connected to the face of the person Ima- wearing imagine, the makeup. Imagine that. You know, mm. that's, but that's, that's just the, you. Yeah, just me. Just like, just, oh God, help, oh, help me. I like people. <laughs> Dick, I have this uh, new part of the show where I, I get fan questions and I wanted to read you a couple. Oh, that's um, nice. this is from Shavit 770s. Okay. Uh, does he, you, ever want to be a guest judge on one of the Food Network shows? Oh, no. No, 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 no. I would love to be invited on a show, but if if I could be invited in some kind of neutral capacity, um, I don't know. There, there is no such thing, is there? No, I don't. I not. I don't. Oh no, I'm not very. Would judge. you do it for makeup? Love, no, hell no, absolutely mm-hmm. not. Not absolutely. like Val Garland on the. You know, I haven't watched it. Um, I haven't either. No, my sister's my sister's you know has more makeup than I, my sister Vicky has more makeup than I do, and she's a big fan. She loves the show, and 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 Dominic, who's on the show actually worked with me on a couple of um, couture shows I did years ago for um, Balenciaga, uh, not Balenciaga, sorry, for um, Scaparelli in, in Paris, who was very sweet and I loved him. He's great. Um, but I haven't watched a show because it's a bit Colston Newcastle, isn't it, really? Um, yeah, it, it's hard know. to watch things that are in the industry that you work in. You know, um, that's again, I wouldn't have a prayer. Can you imagine? I wouldn't, I, would, I wouldn't even place, I wouldn't even make the auditions for something like that. Well, it does. It's not a. Te- it's not. A, I mean, I. This is the other thing. And trying to have, which is very difficult, trying to have a, a, some kind of abstract understanding of the way I work. I think I'm not a technical person at all. Um, because I, you know, I think I don't. I have my hang up about winged iron liquid. I hate it. I hate. I hate a sharp line on the face. It drives me balmy. But you can do it. If uh, at gunpoint, um, you know, I don't like it. I just don't. And I just don't, I don't, the other, my eye goes to it. If I see it in a photograph, it drives me, I don't know why it just, but I mean, I guess you go, you can't like everything, can you? Mm-hmm. Um, Nora loves makeup underscore MUA wants to know, what yes. is it like working with Jürgen Teller? Yeah, well, I don't know really, because it's been so long. I've known Jürgen, I first met Jürgen in 1987. So... We've known each other forever and done a million things. And so it's, it's kind of automatic. I mean, I like... Would you hire him for your own brand that you're paying for to shoot beauty? Absolutely. Right? Um, you're not like, I want a little bit more love, a little bit more light. No, no, not at all. I mean, um, well, I mean I, the, thing, the thing I love the most about the work is the direction. He never looks... He never, look, he never tries to solve a picture or try to solve the subject. He, this is the, the thing I think he has, even it's stylistically completely different. All the photographers I loved working with, I love working with, have a directness to them. And they don't, they don't try and solve a person or try and fit or find a way around a person. And sometimes when I haven't clicked with a photographer, I've, I've seen because they're, they're fixing, they are solving their subject rather than addressing the subject or engaging the subject. And Jürgen's directness is very appealing to me for that. This thing I think is the, is the most beautiful about the work when it's so direct. If you so, were a 70 year old woman, would you rather be shot by Jürgen Teller or would you rather be shot by, let's say, who has like beauty light, like a, like a, let's just say, uh, Mario Testino? 
well, it, uh, I mean, which 70-year-old woman am I? Am I Charlotte Rampling or am I something, you know, I love to work, I work with yoga with Charlotte and Charlotte's always camera ready and never did her makeup. Um, I, I personally, as, you know, <laughs> I'm not 70 yet, but um, I would rather be shot by Jürgen. But that's because I like, I like the style. I like the feeling. If you're looking for flattery, he might not be your number one choice. Right. But if you're looking for engagement, if you're looking to feel, if you like, like to feel reality or documented, or not even documented, because it's not real, it's still not real. Because you know, no one, no one in real life has a light flash. You know, he uses an on-camera flash. No one in real life, for the most part, has a flash coming at them from the front. So it's no more real or artificial than any other photograph. So that's the interesting part about that as well. Hmm. It's, they, they're all just ways of seeing, aren't they? I mean. Of all, you know, of all the most, you know, if we're talking about realism, the most realistic inverted commas is is Jamie, Jamie Hawksworth, because I think that almost all the jobs I've done with Jamie have been with natural light, very very little with even reflected light, very very little with um, reflectors or some. Occasionally he's scrimmed a picture, but not very often. So. Um, that's off the subject. Sorry, I, I don't know. No, anyway, what's it like working with Jürgen? It's that. It's um, it's organic and instinctive and understanding. And it's it, it's a collaboration. It's an exchange. And we know each other. We have a shorthand. We know kind of where we're going to see things or how we're going to see things. And he's also quite happy to be presented with an idea of a person. And, you know, it's a collaboration. Sounds fun. Um, we've time for a quick, Oh, final question. Yes. If you could go back in time and meet yourself anywhere, where would it be? And what would you say? Oh, that's a good one. Um, what would I do? I would probably go back to, I would probably go back to 1981 and meet myself on the King's road in London, going to the world's end, which is Vivian Westwood's shop at the end of the King's road. And I would say, buy everything. (laughs) <laughs> and hang on to it um, because, of course, I couldn't afford the clothes at the time. I used to save up my money and go to London on the bus and buy the clothes. And they just, you know, I still have a few of the pieces, which is hilarious. But um, that, that's, you know, that's, that's kind of a half. Yeah, no regrets. No, no, I mean, you would have said, brilliant. don't, don't walk down that street. It's not good. No, probably. I mean, well, maybe I would have, but I mean, there's, it's sort of. I mean, it's interesting, sort of in the Martin Amis Times Arrow metaphysical Iris Murdoch problems sort of way. But no, you know, can't it can't be undone, can it? So I could, you know, I could. There's a couple of times I could have given myself a slap on the wrist or a punch in the eye, but um, nothing too major, I don't think. You're a major goals here. Um, <laughs> take, let's play a quick game. Uh, what was your first job? Oh. Uh... Probably helping my mum cleaning, cleaning offices, maybe. First thing you do when you wake up? Oh, sadly, probably look at my, well, I look at my phone to see why I've woken up before the alarm, as always, but that's probably, or check on the dogs. Last thing before bed? Um, probably just drop more tea, whatever the sleepy tea thing I'm having is. Um, not that many books lately, so probably just a bit of tea and lights out. What is your dream collaboration? Uh, pr- professionally? Yeah. Uh, or anything. I mean, there's, it's just yeah. a podcast. There's no rules. Um, but, uh, dream, that's interesting. Dream collaboration. I don't know. Uh, 
I haven't actually, have, I've, I've never worked with someone who can really cook, properly cook. So it'd be kind of amazing to work with someone who cooks, but I'm not sure who that may or may not be, but that would be kind of incredible. I'm going to pitch that for a reality show. Oh God, help us. <laughs> Favorite book. Oh, wow. Oh uh, God. Um, the Buried Giant, Ishiguro, maybe top of my head. Okay. Have you read Faggots? Of course. Yeah. How That's my favorite that? book. Really? That's beautiful. Oh, yeah. That is beautiful. Oh, I love it. So <laughs> it's such a commentary on New York. It's, it, what I love is that nothing's changed, right? This was like pre AIDS, 1978. Oh, I don't know. I think quite a lot has changed. But yeah, I mean, you know, but, the, but the, the characters uh, and the archetypes from then until now, it's like you still have those same people. Well, that's self fulfilling prophecy. It depends on where you go, doesn't it, really? Um, your least favorite lip shade. Huh. Also, also a good one. Um, oh, it's probably one of those awful milky beige colors. Those, mm-hmm. those kind of those, those things that were you know, collectively called nude, even though, of course, it was only a a beige, a naked beige person. But um, th- yeah, th- those. So you don't yeah, like those, a nude lip? No, I don't. Well, because it doesn't really mean anything, does it? Like, who's nude? Or concealer um, colored lip. Oh god, whatever no, you know, no. whatever that concealer was for that person. No, I mean in the in the hands of the of a very few people, it can be magical. But it's again, it's context. It's, it's always context. What would you do then for a smoky eye and blank lip? You know what do, I mean. If oh, somebody well, said no lip, smoky eye, what would you do? Oh, there's always I always put like a rose or depending on the, on the skin tone, the person, the well clothes where we are. I'd always put something in. I mean, maybe it's just like a, you know, like a just just a trace of a dirty rose mauve pencil, something just rubbed in so that the mouth doesn't disappear. I hate that kind of. I don't like that kind of like egg face with the black holes right. for eyes. That's what I think the most modern nude is: is that kind of brown, red, gray. Ish, you know, it's like a real lip. Yeah, yeah. I just, I like, I just like lip. For the most part, I like the lips, kind of, kind of how they are. And I might just like. It really, again, depends. I mean, if you're Terry Toy, go for it. Concealer, knock yourself out. Stephen Sprouse, boom. But um, not that many other people, I think, look beautiful without a lip. I'm going to go through your work and archive and find one when you did that, and be like, well, what about this? Well, you'll find um, it the Paolo Reversi in 1995 and a Bazaar with Stella Tennant, probably. Okay. I'm going to post that think, picture I, when I, I put think. this show up. <laughs> um, these are James Lipton questions from inside the actor's studio. Oh, um, wow. What is your favorite word? Fuck. What is your least favorite word? Hmm, blank. Meaning blank is the word or you don't have one? Both, probably. Okay. Um, what turns you on? Sex. <laughs> what turns you off? Um, cruelty. What sound or noise do you love? Hmm. The dogs. What sound or noise do you hate? Uh, oh, this is crass. Other people's music. <laughs> what music do you, do you listen to? Oh God, everything. It dep- that really, that is very, very variable. Everything. Uh-huh. Um, what's your favorite curse word? Cunt. 
Mm, good one. Um, but what profession? Course, it's, it's actually it's actually a term of endearment as well because I'm British, so it's, so someone can be cunty to me, and it's adorable. Anyway, yeah, people sorry. take high offense to that in this country, and then they I just do say, well, in Britain they don't. So they don't know. know. Britain, Britain and Australia, we, it's it's kind of you know could be quite a term of endearment. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I would. I mean, I would love to. I mean, I don't know to be able to cook in some capacity, but I don't know if that really makes any kind of sense because I'm, you know, a bit elderly to be suddenly storming into a kitchen and collapsing. Don't into limit a yourself. Bloody heap of steam. Um, it might not be fun too if you had to do it for a job. Exactly. Yeah. What profession would you not like to do? Oh, or God, how- did you answer that question? So, is, was that your answer? Maybe cook. Well, no, that was. I would. I would love to think of those some way I could. I could cook, and okay. I don't know if I can make a living. But what I would not like to do. I mean, God, how much time do you have? There's a million jobs I would not like to do, and I've done some of them. Um, uh, nine to five. Anything you know, the normal people like anything that is a very specific routine thing. But I don't even know what that would be because I've. I did work in a, in a call center for a while. I almost lost my mind. Anything at a desk. Um, yeah. If heaven exists. What would you mm-hmm. like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Well, it doesn't, and so she wouldn't. But um, so, nah, no, no, no interest. It's a, it's a, it's, that's another whole can of worms and soft source of terrible trouble. Yeah. And you know what? Um, so my grandfather is old and, um, you know, I don't know how much longer he's going to be around. And so it starts making you think about your own mortality and death. And he mm-hmm. also is not religious, you know. So right. it's really interesting for me. I just saw him, also the smartest person I've ever met in my life, like mm-hmm. reads constant book, like just an encyclopedia. It's hard to see someone at that stage, you know, when they're about to die and also who doesn't necessarily believe in God. And I said, are you afraid to die? Uh-huh. And he said, you know, it, it's like Woody Allen. I'm not afraid to die, but I don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> exactly. And it well, made me feel no better about it. Because, well, you know. It's something I think about that a lot. I mean, like, um, do you know this um, writer, Alan Watts, who wrote The Way of Zen? Mm. That's very interesting because, I mean, I, the, I'm not religious, of, have religion of any stripe, although I'm very interested in, you know, I love a good church. I like the inter- I like the the works and the machinations of the ideas and some of the trappings of physical religion, but not the religion itself for the most part. Because there's millions, and everyone thinks theirs is the right one. But um, Alan Watts writing on the way of Zen, there's a, there's really beautiful parts about death and the idea of just stopping, of there not being a before and not being an after. As some parts of this not necessarily extrapolated from whatever versions of Buddhism, but there is something I think very poetic and very beautiful about the idea of just stopping, which is kind of what I feel like. Like the idea that it just stops. It's, I mean, it's it's very comforting, I think, in a way. And you can't be bothered to imagine coming back as a golden retriever or another life. Or, it's not nonsense. It's rubbish. I know. You see, I that's really like at the late in the midnight hour. That's what I think too. And um, I wish that I didn't, because you know it's really comforting to just be told what to think and and all of that. <laughs> It, 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 ignorance is bliss, and I'm not saying people are ignorant. Oh, you know, well, maybe I am, but you know what I mean. But, but do you think? Do you think you've ever, you're ever tempted to believe in an afterlife or reincarnation or life beyond the gravy? I want to. Do you? But That's I, interesting. But I don't. Well, because I don't want to think that that it's all just going to be over. 
Well, I'm, I'm enjoying the the ride for the most part, and I. Well, so and then I, that's I'm all scared. the more reason. That's all the more reason to enjoy it. Yeah, to know that it's finite. That's why it's interesting. Yeah, and what scary. No, oh, it's not scary. Of course, of course not. Well, I might start texting you when I'm when I have questions about this stuff. <laughs> You're having uh, having a exist- very firm answer, you know. Well, you're having, you know, having little. You're much too young to have these existential crises. I was born with it. Ah. The only thing that truly scares me, and I still can't go there, is thinking about outer space. Because the idea of infinity, like mm-hmm. space, doesn't end; it just mm-hmm. keeps going and going. That gives me chills to my core, and I just that's, can't think about it. That's interesting. Do you never have those like those camping holidays when you lie outside and it's just like stars from one horizon to the other? It's, it scares me a bit. I've oh, done I it. Love that. I like that oh. feeling that you think like, well, wouldn't this be kind of amazing if you just sort of fell up? No, that's like my, that's my, like, I wouldn't, like going to outer space would be my idea of hell. Like I really? just, I can't, I, I can look up at the stars, but it's, um, like I don't even like fireworks. I don't want to. I don't want to go up there. You know. <laughs> you don't want to go on. You don't want to like hitch a ride on Jeff Bezos' plane or whatever he's flying on. That that phallic. I don't even want to sit next to Jeff Bezos on the subway. No, well, that's not going to happen. So I shouldn't worry about that. <laughs> yeah, um, Dick. It was so nice to talk to you. Ever since I wanted to do this, ever since January. Um, I kind of fantasized about getting you on the show and had no idea how that was going to happen. And I think through stalking and due diligence, oh, I finally just, got you. Well, you see, saying hello at the parking lot all those years ago, it paid off. <laughs> um, all right. Well, have a great day. And I hope actually that um, I get to talk to you again sometimes. Yes, likewise. Well, thank you. Thank you for interesting questions. And that was, that was fun. Was I hope fun. I wasn't too much of a ramble. I made some kind of sense. Oh, please. I think you're great. All right. All right. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye.